Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's November, and we're spending the month of Thanksgiving expressing our deepest gratitude to you, our mysterious listeners. A few weeks ago, we selected a number of radio series yet to be featured in the podcast and asked our mysterious old Facebook group to vote on the series they would most like to hear us discuss. And the winner is... Broadway is my beat! The series premiered on CBS in 1949, introducing radio listeners to the Times Square homicide detective Danny Clover. Anthony Ross played Clover for the first 12 episodes of the series until the production moved from New York to Hollywood. Beginning with the 13th episode, Danny Clover was played by Canadian actor Larry Thor, who remained in the role until the series ended in 1954. Before landing the lead role on Broadway is My Beat, Thor was best known for his work as an announcer with stints on The Adventures of Rocky Jordan, The Green Llama, and Suspense. As a writer, Thor contributed scripts to a diverse array of radio series, including an episode of Suspense entitled The Man Who Cried Wolf. The West Coast production was directed by Elliot Lewis and written by Morton S. Fine and David Friedkin. The trio collaborated again a few years later on the odd but underrated true crime series Crime Classics. Lewis was a native New Yorker and insisted on getting the sound of the city just right. The attention to detail helps give Broadway My Beat its distinct atmosphere and sense of place. For their part, writers Fine and Friedkin populated Broadway with figures both comic and tragic, combining the humor of Damon Runyon with the hardness of Dashiell Hammett. Danny Clover's narration was the thread holding each story together, written and performed with a hard-boiled lyricism reminiscent of Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe. And now, let's listen to The Tom Keeler Murder Case from Broadway Is My Beat. First broadcast, September 22nd, 1951. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. My beat from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. In autumn sunlight, the September day trots out its promises for Broadway's considering, displays them in doorways, in pushcarts, in gutters, decorates them with place tags, invites you to browse, don't touch, buy, don't squeeze. And at cut rates are the second-hand delights, the tears slashed down to any man's purse, the bolt end of dreams. The vendors simper, the hawkers wink, buy, kid. That's a winter sun on your shoulder, and the day is short, so buy. And that's what you do, kid, because on Broadway, there's no other choice. And at police headquarters, the September's day has arranged its wares of violence on your desk, stacked as to category, degree, grade. 
Because the day is still fresh, you put off the reaching for them, the touching of them. But it screams close to your ear. In the morgue, Danny. Come down. I got something of interest to you. And walk the corridor to the room of the dead. Through the swinging doors into a place without season, where all nights, all days are of equal length, where temperature is constant, where the wind is conditioned before it's let flow over death. Walk up to the man who waits for you. A nervous twitch, Danny, to juggle things in my right hand. Maybe I'll be remembered for it. What have you got, Dr. Sinsky? The man lying there. They found him in his bed last night, murdered. These that murdered him. Two bullets. Look. Yeah, a 22 and, and a 32, wouldn't you say so, Doctor? That I wouldn't know. What I know is only one of these was needed to kill him. Either one. The man was wanted dead twice, Danny. He was killed twice. Two bullets, different size, twice dead. You know who he was? When they brought him to me last night, there was a tag on him. A name, Tom Keeler, an address, the Nixon Hotel. Nothing else. No other word to the living about why such things... You're not sure, Doctor? You're sure that the... Each wound was a mortal wound, Danny. Each wound could... Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. You'll want these, huh? Yeah. Take them. And that's the way my day began. And the ingredients of it were a medical examiner, a murdered man, and two bullets. In a room of no value except to the dead. Except to those whose business is with death. Consider that briefly, then push it away. Leave. Go. Get out. And hurry. And in the corridor, find what you're looking for. The breath of air not controlled by a thermostat. Then the walk down the hall. Turn over the two bullets to technical. Then outside and the squad car. And the ride to West 25th Street and to the Nixon Hotel. To the five-story brownstone that seemed to list from pressure of the insurance housing project next door to it. Go in. Ring a bell. Wait. Be greeted by the man in gray suspenders and no shirt. Morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm Danny Clover, police. Randy Quantrill, hi. You had a little trouble here last night, didn't you? Oh, just a mess of it. Did you know the man who was killed? You mean Tom, huh? That's right, Tom Keeler. What do you mean, know him? Uh, talk to him, have a beer with him. Said hi to him, that's about the extent of my to-do with him. How about visitors? Did, did he have any? Look at the sign over my shoulder, Mr. Clover. Mr. Clover, you know some Clovers down in Selma, Alabama. You any kin to no, any no, Clover? No, no, no. Look at the sign over my shoulder. N.O. visitors, no visitors. And you think just because the sign is there, Tom Keeler didn't have any visitors? No, no, I don't, mister. We got a sign in each and every room says no smoking in bed. In the last year, we had three mattress fires. So what I'm saying is I never saw anybody sneak past this desk that I said to myself, there's a Tom Keeler visitor. What else about Keeler? Oh, he got mail this morning. Maybe I ought to tell you that. Yeah, maybe you should. I'm going to. Fresh mail had come this morning. Here, the letter. Oh, thanks. From the Great Northern National Bank. So I see. Please come in and talk to us with regards to your commercial account at your earliest convenience. You read upside down, Mr. Quantrill? I've lived in Baltimore. Oh. Thank you, Mr. Quantrill. Thanks a lot. 
And for that, Randy Quantrill winked at me, laughed noiselessly at me. Leaned against the mail rack, scratched his back with it. It wasn't the moment to intrude any longer on such private pleasures. So I left him. At the Great Northern National Bank, a guard, uniformed in tattletale gray, took my name, my business, walked down a marble aisle with them. An aisle lined with identical desks, identical faces behind them. Unerringly, the guard chose one, the right one. This was a shrewd guard. He muted his voice to the extracurricular business I had brought to the Great Northern, offered it to the man. The man considered it, digested it, and when he had it all in order, motioned me to the chair the guard had placed discreetly close to him. You told we can help you, Mr. Clover. A man named Tom Keeler had a checking account here. We're aware of it. Therefore... Then you know that he was murdered last night from a cheap hotel. We're aware of many things, Mr. Clover. Our research... I'm sorry, uh, I can't hear you. What'd you say? <clears throat> I say that our research department makes a point of informing each of us here on many diverse matters. Matters that could even most remotely concern us. Thank you. Big pardon? Uh, I said thank you because you let me hear what you had to say. Hmm. I was appointed, Mr. Clover... Should any questions arise about the late Thomas Keeler? Should any questions arise, I will answer the question. Your interrogation is what, Mr. Clover? We down at headquarters think it's strange Tom Keeler slept in a flop house when he had a checking, checking... account with us. Uh huh. Philosophical question, Mr. Clover. Come out of my problem. Uh-huh. Pardon me, what? <clears throat> I say that all we know of Thomas Keeler is that we were asked to transfer fifty dollars weekly to his account, which we have done religiously. Until... Who asked you to do that? Consulate Law, General. George Weber. If you want his address, we should give it to him. Thanks. Uh, you were saying you did this until... Until what? Until two weeks ago. Possibly two weeks in the fraction of a day. And Mr. Weber asked us to discontinue his generosity. Why? I suggest it is a personal matter concerning Mr. Weber. Don't mind troubling you with it. Why? why I, I'm sorry. I, I guess said I, that I... I would... Never mind. Probably wasn't important. And go to the Park Avenue apartments of George Weber. Be told by the person at the desk that Mr. Weber is not at home. Perhaps at his office, the person suggested. And be handed a slip of paper with the office address in a handwriting with the eyes dotted with small circles. Weber and Marley, the slip said. Attorneys, finance building, suite 12. Go there. Go through a door and past the beam of an electric eye. Wade through a carpet to a desk and an olive-skinned girl with tight black hair. Offer your name, show your credentials, and be told Mr. Weber is out. Would you see his partner, Mr. Paul Marley? You would. You nodded past another door and another beam. And to a slender young man who is waiting for you in front of a wall lined with every law book ever written. Be chaperoned by him through yet another door. There he was, Paul Marley. Partner to George Weber, impeccable in morning coat, striped pants, and an army discharge button in his lapel. That'll be all, Robinson. Now, sit down, please, Mr... Or Clover. Clover. Please sit down. Thank you. The information you gave out there says you're a policeman. That's right. And this is about what, sir? What can I do for you? It's about a man named Tom Keeler. Keeler? Keeler? man found murdered last night. Yes. Shot twice with different caliber bullets. Either one fatal. Yes. 
Is all this a matter of legal advice for the police department? You want to know if a man was shot by two people and each That's shot... That's not it at all. Uh, Tom Keeler, it seems, was supported by your partner. By Mr. Weber. That's right. Each week, $50 was drawn on Mr. Weber's account and deposited in favor of Tom Keeler. Uh, surely There's no mistake. Some... That's the way it was. But I know Mr. Weber so well. His affairs, everything. Where is he? On Fire Island, since the day before yesterday, he has a place there. I'm pretty sure he went there. Well, out of season for Fire Island, isn't it? Oh, I don't think so. The end of September? Mr. Weber goes there all year round. Whenever. Whenever what? Whenever he's disturbed. He has the idea of the sea, the strand, the loneliness of it. Personally, what I was Mr. Weber disturbed about? But he has a sister, Peggy. She's just 20, so you can imagine. No, I can't. Beautiful girl of 20, rich, and you can't imagine. Look, Mr. Marley... My partner was constantly arguing with her. We're a conservative firm, Mr. Clover. Individually, both Mr. Weber and myself... What's that got to do with Peggy? Peggy Weber is headstrong. How? I take my partner's word for it that she's headstrong. Therefore... And they argued, Peggy and her brother. What about? I have no idea. And he went to Fire Island to recuperate. One way of saying it. Anything else, Mr. Clover? No? Then please, these documents here, if you don't mind. And get in touch with the authorities at Fire Island. Check on the whereabouts of Mr. George Weber and wait. And an hour later, a phone call. Mr. Weber is not on Fire Island. Mr. Weber's place there is deserted. From the looks of it, hasn't been inhabited for over a month. So come up with a conclusion. Mr. George Weber was missing. Put out an old points bulletin on him. And go back to his Park Avenue apartment. Make a request of the management. We're always glad to accommodate the uh, police. Then uh, let's go, shall we? Of course. Mr. Weber's apartment, right this way, down the hall. Yes, sir. Although, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to know why we should intrude. Don't worry about it. Yes, sir. Open the door. Of course. And here we are. Yeah. We are, aren't we? What? What did you say? Uh, what did you say, Mr. Clover? I didn't... Oh. It stopped both of us. The management and myself. It was a sight that needed only one glance, and the details were there forever. The free-shaped coffee table and the grotesquerie of the man spread beside it. The tracery of blood that stopped abruptly. Mr. Webber, that's Mr. Webber. The penknife, bone-handled and cheap in his heart, to be remembered. Details in the death of George Webber. You're listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. There will be a slight pause while we think of an adjective to describe Mario Lanza. Sorry, guess there just isn't one adjective to describe a guy who sings just as well in the popular range as in the classics. But here's a suggestion. On CBS Radio tomorrow night over most of these same stations, don't miss Mario Lanza's All Request Show. And more of the same by lovely Giselle McKenzie and Ray Sinatra's music. When the night slips out of Broadway's fingers and the false dawn blurs the shadows, Broadway stands bewildered. The carnival is run down. Only the stragglers walk it. The 
with their step without pattern, like their dreams. And the color of their loneliness is the darkened neon, the last sparks of a cigarette butt, and pavement gray. And they walk it. They never know. Broadway's closed for the night. And somehow or another, whether it deserves it or not, the world gets to be nine o'clock in the morning. Then there's a place for everybody. It's daytime, breakfast time, work time, make a dollar time. Or as Sergeant Gino Tataglia said it, lend me a dollar, Danny. Oh, sure, Gino. Here. Oh, thank you. The reason for this transaction, Danny. No, no is... you don't have to explain it. I want to. I want to. Go right ahead. Thank you. Mrs. Tartaglia forgot to tuck my dollar into my lunchbox today, as is her wont, for the little things a man needs during the day. She just phoned me and confessed her deliction of duty in this matter. She knows. She said, ask Danny for it. And tomorrow, she will tuck in two dollars so that you will not go hungry. Tell Mrs. T not to worry. Roger, we'll come. And now, Danny, to the chores of the day. Knife which did George Weber in was of the variety which can be purchased at our leading hardware stores for the nominal sum of one ninety-eight. Practically untraceable. Prince, white, clean. Go on. Well, that's about the sum and substance of the intelligence which has been shunted from the downstairs to the here, Danny. As of now. However. Yes? A young lady is in the ante room and wants to see you. Who is she? A Miss Peggy Weber, sister of the most latterly deceased. Get her. This way to see Danny Clover. Now sit down, Miss Weber. Well, that'll be all, Gino. I'm glad you came, Miss Weber. Your name's right here on my calendar to see today. I knew you'd want to question me about George. How did you hear about his death? I was home, the late news on the radio. You see, I didn't live with my brother. We didn't get along. Oh? It's going to be a lot simpler now with him gone. I'll wear a black dress like this one for a month and call it a decent interval of mourning. It's not any concern of mine, Miss Weber, oh, it's but... entirely your concern, Mr. Clover. Your position demands that you locate people who would have motives for murdering my brother. I would. Did you kill him? A few of my friends and I got together some time ago. For kicks. We were going to try things together, you know. Just for kicks. Black magic. Well, I spent the first ten days of my membership sticking pins into my brother's picture. And all that happened is that he got a sty on his eye. Outside of that, I never harmed a hair on his head. Why all this hate, Miss Warner? Simply this. I love a boy. I told George about him. George got red, then blue, red again, and then a lovely color I never saw before. He found out who the boy was. Ruined him. Who is the boy? Ralph Clay. Now runs a bowling alley on third. Uh, one more thing. Do you know a man named Tom Keeler? Not offhand. Why? Oh, never mind. Uh, leave your address with Sergeant Tataglia, Miss Weber, and thank you very much. Huh? Oh, hello. Yeah, it's me. It's my dying day. You walk into an empty hall, mister. Feel real sorry about it. Oh, don't be. Uh, this way we can have a long talk. Shall we? Uh, don't let it get away from us, mister. I want to take care of this thing coming up. Kingpin, seventh pin. Challenge. What do you think? Go ahead. Watch me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
Never say go ahead to me in that tone, mister. Not on that shot. My quirk, each day I live for it. Something Peggy Weber said. It sent me to you. Peggy? The girl of class. She tell you I kill her brother? I got the impression she was in love with you. Pity the girl. She lives in ancient history. In a time where she loved and I loved back. But ancient history. Under the bridge. Peggy did something to you? She had a brother. Now dead, I read. It stopped me for breath on the way to the sports page. George Weber did something to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm a man who likes to talk about it. My daily nourishment. Share it with me? Georgie Porgy Weber didn't like how his sister used to put her hand in mine, so he marked me lousy. How? Standing before you, Mr. Police, is a boy who once thought he was a lawyer. Cap in hand, he went to Georgie, a soon-to-be brother-in-law, asked for a job, keep it in the family. Georgie smiled, shook his head no. And with words and music, he told me it spoiled for me any job I took from anyone he knew. Because you loved his sister? I was second in my class in law school. You want to invent other reasons? Why well, hate Peggy for it. Things like that run in the blood. I don't stick around till it comes out in Peggy and slaps me in the head. Then that gives you a motive for having killed Weber. Yeah, ain't that a luck, you know. And Tom Keeler, what did you have for him? Keeler? A man who got killed in a flea bag. A man Weber supported until... Typical, typical. They're supporting him. Good old Uncle Tom was an old friend of George's and Peggy's father. After the father died, Uncle Tom still hung around. Why is he called Uncle? Peggy calls him Uncle because he was her confessor, her hero. Everything that ate Peggy, she brought to good old Uncle Tom. Not to her brother. Who goes to a man like that except to kill him? <laughs> I give you something to ponder, Mr. Police? Yeah, you did. I'm glad. Makes me want to live through another day. <laughs> Watch the bitter boy make you strike. And consider the lie he'd flipped to you. The girl's lie that she didn't know Tom Keeler. And wonder over it. Jot it down in memory as a future conversation piece with Peggy Weber. And then, remember a man who said he knew all about George Weber. Everything. Everything but the mention of Keeler's share in his partner's life. Go to him. Wait for him to finish his preening. To taste to the full the decorations bestowed upon men of know-how. Got this little time machine for being on my toes, Mr. Clover. Handsome tidbit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Seventeen jewels, Hamilton. All because I proved in court the chap's wife had been unfriendly to said chap. <laughs> Look what the grateful devil had engraved in the gold. To chum Paul Marley for setting me free. To chum. What was there about Tom Keeler that shut your mouth about him? Why, why, my compliments, Mr. Clover. Brilliant strategy. Attack while the enemy celebrates minor victories. In tactics class at Fort Meade... You told me about Weber. Personal things about him. His sister. Why not about Tom Keeler? It pained me. For George's sake. My deceased partner's sake. It pained me. You'll show me where it hurts. You think you'll be able to understand? Don't answer. It doesn't matter. Keeler was a derelict, a bum, a hungry shadow in George's closet. That's why George opened that account for him. To keep him from coming here to beg. George and I had a large investment here. The presence of Kilo was Weber cut off the account. At my insistence, my counsel, it made quite a row the other day. Between Tom and George, I had to shoot people back to their desks. You killed George Weber? Attack, attack. 
I admire your method, Mr. Clover. Well, the investment, the plush carpets, the perfumed secretaries, the junior partners, all yours now. You killed Weber for that? The death of my partner was a great loss to me, Mr. Clover. A personal loss. Were it in my humble power to hunt out his assassins, I would dedicate my knowledge, my life, my... I can do for you? Yeah, Dr. Sinsky, I have an idea about something. I want you to check it for me. Gladly. Get out the medical examiner's report on Tom Keeler. Gladly. Yes, sir. Right here. Well, what do you want it for? I want to put it side by side with this one I've got on George Weber. So? Here, look. It says uh, Weber died the day before yesterday at approximately 6 p.m. Uh-huh. And it says on this report that Keeler died about midnight on the same day. You know what that means, Doctor? No, what? There's a pencil on your desk. Figure it out. Mind if I come in, Miss Weber? This evening you can go as far as calling me Peggy. But you can't come in. I'm afraid I'll have to... You'll have to force your way in? And I could relish that. Peggy. But a friend's visiting with me. Ralph Clay. You said the password. If you know that, you might as well come in. Ralph! Come out, come out, wherever you are. Say hello to Mr. Clover, Ralph. I told you a big fib, didn't I, Mr. Clover? I didn't know whether you'd broken off with Peggy or not. It doesn't matter anymore. You want to ask Peggy questions? You too. Goody, goody. You lied to me too, Peggy. Because I'm a liar. I give Ralph a lot of trouble that way, don't I, Ralph? Let's just listen to what the man has to say. You lie about Keeler, Peggy. You said you didn't know who he was. I explained it to you. I'm a liar. I found out who killed your brother, Peggy. I said it. We heard you. There were a lot of motives floating around, Peggy. Yours. Leave her alone. She didn't kill her brother. Peggy. Oh, cut it out, Ralph. Peggy. Ralph had nothing to do with it. I did it. What's the matter with you, Peggy? You're crazy. You're a liar. You lie. That's why you're saying you kill your brother. Ralph, Ralph. Neither one of you killed him. You thought Ralph did, Peggy, and Ralph... What are you trying to do to us, Clover? What are you doing? Police methods trying to get us to play against oh, each take other? Take it easy, Ralph. Go on. Take it easy, Ralph. Take it easy, Ralph. What are you trying to say? Talk, talk. Tom Keeler. Killed Peggy's brother. Clover, so help me out. Listen to me, both of you. Clover! Let him talk, Ralph. Keeler killed him because his source of income was cut off. A man like Keeler could kill. A desperate man, a man without livelihood. A tramp who made a habit of living off someone else's generosity. Ralph. Ralph, it's all my fault. You found your brother dead, didn't you, Peggy? Yes, and I... And you thought Ralph did it. Yes, I thought... It's going to be all right. Peggy went to her Uncle Tom like she always did when she was in trouble. Told him Ralph had killed her brother. What did Tom Keeler say to you, Peggy? He said... He said not to worry. Just not to worry. Then he got in touch with you, huh, Ralph? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You know what he told me? I think so. He told me Peggy killed her brother. 
Oh, he was a killer all the time. And I'm supposed to be a bright boy. So he had each of you believing the other had killed George Weber. How much money did he want from each of you to protect the other? Oh, what difference does it make? Doesn't matter. Black man. That's why Tom Keeler's dead, too. Murdered. Yeah. You slapped the cuffs on me for that one, Clark. No, Ralph. No more. You don't have to anymore. Mr. Clover, my uncle said he wanted everything I had to keep quiet about Ralph. So I went up to his hotel room while he was sleeping. And shot him. No. No, Peggy, that's what I... That's what you both did. To protect the other. You both shot Tom Keeler. time on Broadway when the crowd gives up, goes home, and the lights buzz fitfully, die. Then it's a street of dim moonlight and dark whispers, and the wind of the autumn night, the wind that scatters everything. Yesterday's headlight, yesterday's dreams, yesterday's people. It's Broadway, the, the gaudiest, the most violent the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. My beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Lillian Bayef was heard as Peggy Weber, Anthony Barrett as Ralph Clay, Paul Fries as Randy Quantrill, Bob Bruce as Mr. Chase, and Edgar Barrier as Paul Marley. was Broadway is my beat and the episode the Tom Keeler murder case here on the mysterious old radio listening society podcast once again I'm Eric I'm Tim and I'm Joshua and that one is a listener vote winner uh what were the other ones on that list I'm putting the usual the suspects of ones we haven't talked about yet uh the voyages of the scarlet queen uh yeah. the green hornet candy matson when are one of them that I want going to win? You could pick these at any time. I, I hate voted. to break this to you. <laughs> you I are one voted. third of this podcast. You get first vote. If you if we're not listening to them, you're your fault. Every week it's that we come in here, it's, oh, we've got seven million listener requests. <laughs> we do. And that was my exact impression of Joshua. It was dead on Joshua. <laughs> you need to pretend to be a listener and send us requests. That's and what we'll, I'm going to do. We'll put you directly to the bottom of the list. <laughs> And Scarlet, we'll get to it in a Scarlet year and a half. Queen is way up there for me. I'd, I'd love to 
analyze that one. Anyway, point is, uh, we're doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to everyone who voted. Yeah, thanks, everyone. <laughs> well, I'm going to get out in front of this train and say that I love Broadway as my beat. It is a hard-boiled classic, in my opinion. Um but I'm getting some looks from the gentleman. It, but I will tell you, just to start the conversation, what my favorite thing about this series is. And that is, unlike a lot of other of the crime shows, it takes this time to give every character in every scene this small quirk or tick or a little extra life to a scene, whether it be mm -hmm. the coroner in this one who's fidgeting with the bullets as he talks mm -hmm. or the bank teller who won't speak up and the guy who has a note from his wife that he needs a dollar yeah <laughs> yeah there are scenes that are just there for exposition but the writers are always careful to go like we can't just make this a cheap scene for exposition we've got to give it some flair or some touch mm -hmm. of humor character or audio variety it just has a lot of polish that way i never heard of broadway is my beat this is my first one didn't even know it existed. Had never heard of it until it was on that uh, poll and we uh, ended up doing it. Uh, I, I, I imagine... Just get rid of the bitterness. <laughs> it's not bitter. You've got to understand, having no idea what this is, imagine being me. Halfway through this, I'm like, what is going on? Not in a bad way, not in a good way. Like, just a lot of, wow. There's a lot of crazy, weird things going on in here. I'm not tracking you. As in eccentric characters or the, you're saying the plot's too Let me, give, an too let me give an example. There's so much stuff that isn't necessary to the plot going on, as you just mentioned, mm -hmm. that I am expecting them all to be <laughs> clues <laughs> and, or red herrings, and they're not. That whole conversation with, I can't hear you. <laughs> and what speak the up mumbling I'm sorry. Bank teller. the yeah. mumbling bank teller yeah. and and i'm like well that's gonna be a clue see the mumbling bank teller he's <laughs> you learned your it, lesson see? in the johnny dollar cereal <laughs> <laughs> my point is it took me halfway through it to latch on to what the style was and mm. what the intent was and what was going on so when you go back and listen the second time which i did now i'm not missing half of it going why do these people talk like this? It is very poetic. The writing is borders on over the top to gorgeous. It's really unique. That's what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. This is an incredibly unique program in how it doesn't really match any other detective series I've ever heard from old time radio or, or anything I've ever heard. And so... I was confused for a long time as to what was going on. I was similar. It was like a roller coaster ride that was like, clearly this is not a safe roller coaster. Um, <laughs> where just moment by moment of like the dialogue would be like, oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. Too much, too much, too much, too much. All right, back off, back off. All right, that's great. And it was nonstop engaging, nonstop fun. But like I could never catch my breath just because it went and went and went. And who's this? And why are they weird? And who's this? Everybody is weird. <laughs> and when I actually got to the end on the first listen, to like, oh yeah, there were two bullets. <laughs> <laughs> like, you forget that there's a mystery. I yeah, say the, the actual mystery is just gone. gone. I was just enamored with all of these weird people that were showing up. It was like a freak show. You know, this might be my background with hard-boiled literature, and I love Raymond Chandler. And Raymond Chandler is famous for writing a story based on how interesting or fun of a scene it creates, to the point where often huge Raymond Chandler fans 
can't necessarily figure out the plot of his novel, right? <laughs> For this exact reason. So compared to something like The Big Sleep, this seems really straightforward, <laughs> plot-wise. You know, when you break down the mystery part of it, it's not hard to follow, and I actually like the mystery part of it. I think what Tim and I are saying is, it takes some detours but just I think to they, discover some human beings for no reason. They're an atypical red herring. There are so many characters and they have so many quirks. It keeps you from being able to predict yeah. the solution. Yeah, especially And the solution, I think, is really fair. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. it makes sense when it happens. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of pedestrian detective stories where by 10 minutes in, you're sure. pretty sure exactly how it's going to wrap up. That's what I'm saying is I'm used to that. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that because I've been fed that for a long time with most of the other detective shows. But this took some acclimation of my brain. It's so unique. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I wrote right here, such an odd style. I can't decide if I like this or not. That was exactly halfway through. And then I wrote, it's like everybody talks in riddles. (laughs) No one will really say what they're thinking. It's a really hard-boiled Get to Paul Freeze and you can read Upside Down. (laughs) I'm from Baltimore. Do you understand? That's a reference I don't get. No, me neither. I I wrote that down. I don't know what it's meant. Okay. I tried to Google it. Like, uh, reading Upside Down Baltimore. (laughs) So if a listener knows what the reference is. And while we're at it, I will freely confess, when I first heard that character... I thought, they got Orson Welles for this? Oh, yeah. He was he has a similar quality. He was walking by the studio. And, um, uh, I do love that scene. It's well written where he says, oh, yeah. you know, well, did he have any visitors? Do you see this sign? It says no visitors. In no yeah. visitors. And, no and it's like, so you think people follow that sign? Oh, no, we say no smoking in bed, and we've had three bed fires in the last year. That's another just a r- example it's, of what I'm talking about. Yeah, but what it's is, like a whole city of people who got to do some shtick before they answer yeah. a question. Right, they won't just answer the question. <laughs> they talk in riddles. But I have to ask, have you guys not read a lot of hard-boiled novels and literature? Some, and I'm not, to, I'm, to it's me, not a complaint. Kind of, like, I really enjoyed it. It's just crazy. I have, and this is different from all of that. This isn't... She walked in. She had legs that wouldn't stop. You know, that there's that kind of noir. And it's not terse. Thing. People don't give punchy answers here. They got yeah. bits. And yeah, there's low a key. lot of less popular hard-boiled stuff that was very... And people are low-key. ...dry and witty like right. this and deadpan. Tartaglia is very much straight out of a Damon Runyon short story, and he's far more over the top. No contractions and right. is yeah. mixing um, high and low diction. I just figured it out. This is all written that everybody is suspicious of everybody else. Everybody's approach to everybody. Anybody walks in and starts saying, yeah, what do you want? Yeah, yeah. what are you looking at? <laughs> that being said, it, it fits in with the opening narration about his view of what Broadway is. The gaudy is the most violent. Yeah. That lonesome as mile in the Vibe, but don't squeeze. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got a show to put on. Occasionally, though, the odd characterization... And the exposition are married together really well. And I think the opening scene with the coroner is a great marriage of character foley and exposition. And that we hear those, what I don't think we realize at first are the sounds of bullets, but we hear Mm -hmm. the little rattling. um, And then he says something about, it's a nervous twitch, Danny, to juggle things in my right hand. Maybe I'll be remembered for it. And then 
by the time he goes through it and talks about two bullets and you hear it again, you realize, oh, he's right. This thing we've been hearing is actually an important part of the story, and he's fingering these bullets from a dead guy. <laughs> and you're like, this guy is weird, but I've learned and something I, about the story at the same time. Terrible and it's been cop. Some great, yeah, he's a terrible doctor <laughs> that he cannot decipher yet between bullets. Oh, that's not my job. I don't know, but there are two of them. Like, he's a 22 and a, right? Didn't he not? Yeah, 22 un- and 30. He, he didn't know which ones. He couldn't identify bullets. I think that's part of the job. I think he could identify they're different. He just couldn't tell you what type of thing. Yeah, I, I still say he should be able to do that. He Sorry. also couldn't tell I'm writing a letter. <laughs> Danny gets kind of mad at him later, too, because he comes in and tells him to do the math on it when he's figured out that... Uh, the, the second body found was the first body the killed. First body. Yes. Straight out of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> they um. stole this from Silence of the Lambs 30 years earlier. But um, that, that scene in the mortician, the outro is this sort of grandiose poetic description of the place that's oh. only valued for dead or those who deal yeah. in death. And that was, again, like, that's great. Maybe just a little too much. The narration is not even resembling natural speech. No. Whatsoever. It uh, is, it's, and it's different from how he speaks to the characters. Yeah. yeah. You imagine that he's home alone when he types this up and he's, <laughs> he's sobbing and half drunk and <laughs> typing his narration after the case. <laughs> it's distracted and meandering and yet somehow real. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. not just the narration, the whole thing. Does that make sense? I wouldn't say I it's meandering. Yeah. I, think, I think it's really on point. It's not on point. He asks a question. He goes, yeah, I know some clovers from Alabama. You know, like, why are we going down there for three sentences and then back? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's the meandering to me. That felt purposeful to me. Of, yeah. Is uh, he avoiding yeah, answering his question? That the hotelier, I don't know what his job title is there, but he is obfuscating what he doesn't really want to give a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I get it, but you're also a Columbo fan, and like three-fourths of Columbo is absolutely superfluous God, each combo really... episode should be 20 minutes long i mean that's like... a really good point <laughs> but it's funny yeah and, and i think it's the same setting... thing here it's but he's about setting character. him up though to make everybody think he's bumbling colombo i'm talking about so yeah. that they give him more information than they should and that's what that's i think i think here is that these are people avoiding answering a cop's question and they're finding okay. very colorful fun ways to do it and some i think is just Elliot Lewis is a good director, and I'm wondering if some of these things even weren't completely scripted, that he just figures some of these scenes out to give them more life, like the bank teller mm-hmm. who doesn't mm. speak up. They tricked me. So the bank teller starts talking. I couldn't hear it, and I thought it was an audio quality, and I <laughs> I turned it up, and then Danny Clover screams really loud, I can't hear you, and I'm like, oh, it's part of the story. Conversely, though, Wow, does, is everyone really agreeable to just doing whatever for cops? Of like, you want to see his mail? Sure, fine. <laughs> like some questions answered about his, his checking account? Okay, yeah. We'll give him the address. The person makes deposits in there. Different Crime. world, too. Yeah. Anybody else find the irony in the Nixon Hotel? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Did not strike me. <laughs> right away. Uh, and I have to say, one of the things that struck me about this episode was the end. Um, there's a interesting mix of performance styles throughout. Uh, Some actors are more over the top than others, but I think in some ways the narration supplies the ceiling. (laughs) The narration is so over the top, it allows some actors to go up and match that narration and some to be more naturalistic. And then at the end, I think, is one of the most devastatingly naturalistic believable reactions to a like murder solution that I've ever heard on audio when that horrific gift of the magi realization in which she just <laughs> starts 
protect sobbing oh, yeah. hysterically and he's like stop it stop it until he starts breaking down and that's just the end okay bye yeah it's... mystery solved <laughs> i do like the ending of this but, but it's, they're it's both not a curses <laughs> right you foiled me i like yeah. how they it's... both try to protect each other until they slowly realize they had both done it it's really i took a different powerful. sort of followed a different emotional path of that scene of following keeners so you killed this guy and then found out oh i can blackmail two people like that's cold-blooded oh <laughs> right it, it is yeah I mean, that's part of the horror, too, is that the guy deserved it. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're going to both go to Ostensibly family it. to the... Yeah. Any other thoughts? Any other things you're dying to say? I have a bit of trivia for you that Ooh. I didn't include in the top. The musical score is composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. You know what else he's famous for? Um, he being, dog? being really afraid of things. <laughs> <laughs> he's walked right into that. <laughs> He composed the theme song to Star Trek. The oh, classic Star Trek. Yeah. That's awesome! I know. Oh. <laughs> he also sang it. No, <laughs> I can't believe I didn't know that name. I can't believe you didn't either. Wow. Okay. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's vote. Tim, you get to go first. Uh, I fear I may have given a little deceptive take on my reaction. I really loved this. It was really enjoyable. Like I say, it was. Its voice is so strong that it sometimes for me flipped into parody. But that was only sometimes, and even then, I kind of liked the, for the parody. But the performances were great. The story is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad our Facebook group foisted this on us. <laughs> I may have been a little deceptive in my reaction because I loved it. That's exactly what Tim just said, uh, and I couldn't agree more. That's exactly right. Uh, I have to repeat, it took acclimation. I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't understand it. But once you accept what this is, it's great. I actually ended up loving those weird conversations. They were just so odd that I enjoyed them immensely. So I will say, stands the test of time, uh, especially as an example of this style. Yeah, I think Broadway Is My Beat is a classic piece of radio drama, the series as a whole. I don't know that I've heard enough episodes to really discern whether this is a classic. Uh, I chose this one of the 10 or 12 I've heard because I think it is a nice representative mix of the darkness and the comedy that it uses. And like Tim said, it seems at moments, especially in the narration, that you could almost be parody yet it always retains its narrative integrity mm -hmm. yeah. and i think that's down to elliot lewis i think it's down to the performers they have there's just so much going on in it and one side of it never takes over so it stays right. balanced yet it feels like it's constantly at odds with each other which yeah. seems uh, like that should be a distraction but i don't find it it's just dense um so it's really fun to listen to so it stands the test of time for sure and it's a fun fun radio show i'm going to be listening to a lot more all right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home with this podcast. You'll find other episodes there, as well as uh, ways to get a hold of us. You can comment on episodes, leave us a message, link through social media. Also, we just put up news of what's going on with the morals. <laughs> Is that an actual link? <laughs> nope. No. What's going on with you guys? <laughs> just have a link to, are you okay? <laughs> 
You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast because we're not okay. We, we need your help. Um, yeah, we would love your support. Uh, you I'm can... sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> Could you speak up? What? I said we'd love your support. Thank you for letting you... me know what you had to say. <laughs> You can also go to iTunes and write a review. We love that. You can join our Facebook discussion group Related because to we're going to have a discussion group from Alabama. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, we actually have a lot of polls in there, and we are going to be doing. We've already started it, so if you join the group, you can vote on this. Uh, we're going to give an award at the end of the year here to the very best old time radio show we have featured in 2019 on this podcast and also the worst right and the worst both but we've started with the best poll so you can we're doing it in chunks so please uh join the facebook group and vote it says no smoking right <laughs> eric's not gonna give up this guy <laughs> also if you want to see us perform live we do recreations on stage on the theater stage of old-time radio shows exactly as they first aired uh, or to the best of our ability and also write original content that we perform live if you would like to come see us perform live and again making it clear it's not the podcast you'd come to see it's us doing radio shows uh, mysterious old radio listening society.com what is next next we will be doing a listener request it is come to the bank from lights out until then Look out! i'm sorry uh, i can't hear you what'd you say <clears throat> Maybe I ought to tell you that. Yeah, maybe you should. I'm going to. Sir, I'm sorry, uh, I can't hear you. What'd you say? <clears throat> Mr. Clover. I know some clovers down in Selma, Alabama. Sir, I'm sorry, uh, I can't hear you. What'd you say? <clears throat>